0: Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have another news update. The April 25th, 1942 edition of the CBS News of the World broadcast from the CBS studios in New York. It includes updates from the home front, London, Australia, China, and more. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you'd like to show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So thanks for listening, and enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. News
1: of the world, Saturday,
0: April 25th. Once
1: again, Columbia's correspondents on both sides of the world are standing by to give you the latest news, direct by Shortwave Radio. This morning, we shall call in London and attempt to get you reports from Australia and Chongqing, China. In addition, we shall hear from our own capital in Washington. Meanwhile, Chet Sandman will give you the news from other points. But first, here are today's highlights. The RAF again smashed at Rostock last night and British planes are active today. The Japanese are still pushing the Chinese and British defenders in Burma. American and Australian planes bombed Jap positions at Lai on New Guinea. The Russian newspaper Pravda estimates that a million Nazis have been killed since the Red Army opened its winter campaign on December 6th. And now, Chet Santon. Before calling in London, here is the latest news from Russia. Soviet dispatches say light Red Army forces have driven across the river on the central front and captured a Nazi-occupied village. The exact site of the action is not announced. Pravda, the Communist Party newspaper, says today that since the Russians started their winter campaign on December the 6th, the Nazis have lost 50,000 men a week, or a total of a million since the Red Drive started. Pravda said its estimate doesn't include Germans who froze to death. Recently, the melting snow in Russia has bared thousands of German corpses. For the first news direct from abroad, we take you to London and Frederick Kuhl, London correspondent of the Chicago
2: Sun. PBS London, Saturday, April 25, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Frederick Ku reporting. Europe. Last night, a clear moon again shone over Rostock, the German Baltic seaport, and sleepless Nazis there heard the drone of British bombers for the second night running. On Thursday night, RAF pilots had located and set a fire the big Heinkel aircraft works at Rostock. When they returned Friday night, they found the Heinkel factory without having to ask for the address. They saw great big bombs crash into the airplane plant. And the town itself again took a thick shellacking. Out of the large British force that raided Rostock last night, only two bombers are lost. But out of the buildings of Rostock, many, many more than that are missing this morning. The Far East. One of the great unanswered questions of 1942 is, will Japan attack Russia this year? There's a piece of news today that may have a bearing on Japanese intentions towards the Soviets. It's likely further to key up Russian watchfulness in the Far East. I mean to report that 15 big Japanese transport ships have left the Dutch East Indies for dirend. That sounds pretty significant. Dairen is near Port Arthur. It's the terminus of the South Manchurian Railway, which is the main supply line for Japan's strong army in North Manchuria, near the Soviet frontier. 400,000 troops is an underestimate of the Japanese garrison there. The Soviet Far Eastern Army, facing the Japanese, is probably superior to the opposite Japanese forces, both in numbers and armament. Perhaps the Japanese think the time has come to reinforce. If so, they would logically send more soldiers and munitions through Dairen. What did those 15 Japanese transport vessels carry when they left the Dutch East Indies for Dairen? I don't know. But I doubt that their cargo was just Java crossing and cigars to polish off Japan's fat, indigestible meal. More than 200,000 Japanese troops invaded the Dutch East Indies this winter. Except for sputtering guerrilla fighting, Dutch armed resistance has ended there. So the Japanese may have started thinning out their East Indies garrisons. Did those 15 big ships carry troops to reinforce the Japanese army near Russia's border? We haven't heard yet. We may never know. Everybody realizes that Russia has both hands, both arms, mighty full holding and pushing back the enormous German war machine. And nobody in the census wants to see Russia mixed up in the war against Japan today. Hitler would give his last brown shirt to see that happen. But those 15 large Japanese transport ships steaming to Dairen may well mean something. The Tokyo newspaper Asahi, quoted by the Berlin Radio yesterday, blandly remarked, relations between Russia and Japan are delicate and complicated. This is Frederick Coon, in London, returning you to
1: CBS in New York. That was London, and now return to somewhere in Australia for the report of William J. Dunn. CBS, Australia, Saturday, April 25th, 10.05 p.m., John Raleigh reporting. Today is Anzac Day in Australia and New Zealand. Past Anzac days have been celebrated with appropriate ceremonies, parades, and general get-togethers of Australian soldiers of the First World War. This holiday was different. No columns of troops marched through the streets. There were few reunions. Most old soldiers are again in uniform and on duty. They are affectionately called the Rufus and Toothless and do guard and seasonal service at military establishments throughout both commonwealth at a central and a principal city wreaths were laid by representatives of the american and australian armies navies and airports Centrals from every allied nation were present reports from northern command fighter and bomber bases continue to reflect an optimistic view of damage done to Japanese military installations and ships at Rabaul, salamo and Ley. Allied raids have destroyed an enemy convoy, dispersed in New Guinea and New Britain ports, as well as smashed troop concentrations and heavily hit Japanese occupied airfields, according to well-informed sources. Though most authorities have readily indicated that the enemy has been held in check for some time in New Guinea, and that any invasion move from this point is now unlikely. A summary of destruction done to Japanese planes, ships, and soldiers since the enemy landed in Guinea appears to suggest that there is a great deal more Japanese strength in Guinea than is generally known. Military circles, I'm told, have not eliminated the possibility of attack emanating from Jap-held bases in New Guinea by any means. The release of thousands of troops from Bataan may have changed the picture considerably, it is said. Logistics has become a magic word in this war. The meaning of logistics might be translated from military pilots. To the civilian conception of packing a bag with all the necessary items for a long trip. To ordering and seeing that delivery is certain of household requisites over overhanding. In other words, logistics, enable war to be carried on, keep guns loaded, and feed men's stomachs. Lastly, the movement of large numbers of troops and materiel is no easy job, and logistics cover this too. If you've ever tried to organize a picnic of five or more persons, you may have some slight idea of the task necessary to keep thousands of soldiers not only equipped well-fed and healthy, but to move them swiftly and efficiently to fighting zoos. Best example locally is told by a returned Australian captain who was one of the rats of Tobruk. He stated that in 30 minutes, in total darkness, 35 tons of cargo unloaded from a ship that he had, in his own words, plunged into Tobruk Harbor and 450 men embarked. With five minutes on each end of this vital half hour, the vessel dropped for hook and got underway to less dangerous seas after the job was done finishing. My Australian friend shook his head and grimly remarked that the rest of the Allied world might take note. This is John Raleigh in Australia, returning you to Columbia.
2: Columbia's correspondent in China is standing by. We take you now to Chongqing for the report of
0: James Stewart. At this time... of the Columbia commentator here. We wonder whether this program has uh, not... Have a last moment. Your station is XBOY.
1: This is CBS calling James Stewart and Chongqing. Go ahead, Chongqing
0: almost all American officers whom he interviewed in Africa, India, and Asia are convinced that victory would be made more certain by a ruthless decision to crack Germany first between the princes of Russia and an Anglo-American force on the West. He explained to Clapper that the extreme distances from the United States and England to the Far East and the extreme difficulties in the transportation and communications would make an early defeat of Japan most difficult. These officers feel, Clapper added, that the the defeat of Germany would free the British and American Navy and make available a great pool of merchant company, enabling the allies to gang up and definitely speed up the final destruction of Japan. Asked about his impressions of Chongqing. Clapper paid a high tribute to Generalissimo and Madame Chiang Kai-shek and the single-handed battle which China has fought for the last four years. Crapper found no defeatism in Chongqing, adding, you can't find anybody who does not think Japan will be beaten. The highest of British military honor, GCB, Grand Cross of the Bath was conferred upon Generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek by King George VI of England, to so Sir Horace James Seymour, British ambassador to China, in recognition of his brilliant leadership, his glorious successors, and his invaluable contributions to the United Nations. The Generalissimo, who personally received the cross yesterday afternoon, thanked the King for the honor and expressed his fervent hope that the that between China and Britain would be strengthened and that the final victory for the United Nations would not be far off. Sir Horace, who made the presentation, was accompanied by Major General J.G. Bruce, general officer commanding a British...
1: We have been unable to correspond our uh, Columbia correspondent in Chongqing. We return you now to Columbia in New York. The New York Times this morning in a special dispatch from Kubyshev points out how the Russian mind has been affected by the war. Although the process of convincing the Soviets of their tradition and what they must do during a battle has been going on for years, the fight with Germany has pushed all of this. The average Russian's books, the ballet, opera, concerts, and even his newspapers are now all aimed at bringing the war to his mind and heart. In literature, cheap editions of War and Peace are being read instead of detective stories. The newspapers usually carry a drawing or joke connected with a war on every page. The theaters are presenting operatic scenes tying up with the Russian campaign against Napoleon with the present conflict. The great task of directing the public's attention exclusively to the war has also brought about a change in the official attitude towards personal heroism. There was a time when the glorification of personal deeds was found upon, but that time has passed. Today, every Soviet newspaper is packed with stories of the exploits of individuals. In addition, in Russia the church has been treated more tolerantly. Anti-religious voices have been completely silenced. The priests, particularly in the occupied regions, are earning praise for their stout resistance to the invaders. In our own country, approximately 13 million men in the 45 to 65 age group today began registering in the nation's fourth draft. This group will be eligible for present non-combatant war work. Special arrangements have been made for the registration of the president and members of Congress on Monday. The president will fill out his blank in the White House, and congressmen will gather in the Capitol rotunda. Congressional circles now think that the 10 million motorists in the East will be allotted 30 to 50 gallons of gasoline a month under the rationing plan. Once again, Columbia is calling his correspondents around the world for the latest news by shortwave radio.